episode four with my man, Pete Dupree. How are we doing, Pete? Good morning, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, taking the time. I know we've been trying to make this uh, happen for some time now. So uh, with both of our schedules aligning, this is uh, quite an exciting day for me. <laughs> Scheduling has been quite a cluster over the last couple of weeks and months, I will say. I don't, I don't know that I would complain to you with you being in Manhattan. And this is true. On, <laughs> on full-blown indefinite gym lockdown. Yeah, this is I, true. I certainly feel for you, but uh, we've had our own kind of new collection of scheduling issues, mostly for me related to childcare, since my kids' summer camps have all been canceled, and oh. I don't don't have places to put them, and I only have a part-time babysitter. So between running my gym and and helping run my family with my wife, we are uh, constantly juggling calendars. Yeah, and and you know that's that's a um, a familiar theme, both for our clients, both for uh, business owners. Um, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty consistent, uh, battle, you know, over the last couple months. Um, and, uh, so, yeah, that's the good news is you're not alone, but before we go any further, um, can we introduce you a little bit more formally as, uh, in addition to the, uh, co-founder of Cressy Sports Performance, um, you, you know, I know you from, from before your first presentation, your first public speaking engagement. Um, and I, I didn't know who you were before I knew who you were if that makes sense, um, <laughs> back in Kansas City. Um, but since then, it, it, I mean, not that your career is taking off, but, but kind of, right? I mean, things, things have changed a little bit in your world um, since that, that presentation. Well, I, I think my career's just kind of shifted okay. in a lot of ways. Fair. As far as my attention goes, uh, my family's grown since then as well, which is obviously a game changer. But, um, you know, the, our business has continued to evolve and and grow and pause and plateau and grow again. And my, the biggest change for me since that time is content creation more than anything. Okay. Cause when I met you, I had never written a blog in my life. I wasn't on any social media other than Facebook and I wasn't sharing any insights about running a gym up until that moment. I mean, when you, the, the day you're talking about was quite literally the first time I ever stepped on a stage to <laughs> lecture any audience outside of my staff during an, in service or something along those lines. So that was a definitely a a notable moment in my career for sure yeah. developmentally and it I do remember chatting with you at length before even stepping on stage. So I know what you mean when you say you didn't know me before you knew me. <laughs> kind of a weird sentence. Um but and 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 this actually isn't one of one of the questions I I was uh you know listed but so before then you you had hadn't written a blog post. Uh, has anybody ever asked you why? Like, is is that like, have you ever just like, like, um, certainly, I mean, look, everybody has a, has a, a first post, a first training session, a first something. Mm -hmm. And so it, it had to happen when it happened. And I wouldn't say that I had a specific rule in mind that I won't publish until right. I just never thought of myself as having something worthy of sharing up until that moment in time. I could, I could retroactively make up some BS excuse and tell you like, you know, I, I set a defined amount of career capital that I need to accumulate before I can start talking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't at all how I was thinking. I was just kind of of the mindset, well, no one cares what I have to say. Right. <laughs> so, so why, not why bother, just I'm not going to dive in, throw my hat in the content creation ring if I don't have any reason to believe that people are going to be excited about it because <laughs> writing blogs and 
editing podcasts and creating Instagram content, things like that, it's a grind. It, it can be exhausting. And I think one of my biggest pet peeves with all of this is that even if you do a great job and you have a enthusiastic audience, it does not mean that you have an engaged audience. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're, I think even some of the best content creators are ready to quit because they think no one's listening. And they, you know, by the time they do decide to hang them up and say, I'm done with this. And someone says, but I loved your stuff. It's kind of too late. <laughs> and so right. it, I, I was, I think fearful of that before I even started, if that makes sense. Of course. Yeah. And, and, you know, just, just for our listeners, um, pe- people have been enthusiastic to hear what you have to say um, since the, since the moment you first spoke, I know listening to your podcasts uh, in your previous interviews and reading your articles is, isn't just a breath of fresh air be- because it feels like it's, um, it's, it's not a, it's not a textbook speaking, right? It's, it's, these are real life situations. You're, you're managing two gyms, you're managing a family, you're managing during, in the middle of a pandemic and you've managed to grow, you've managed to adapt and, uh, you know, and you've, you've lost some staff members, you know, over the, the past couple of years. So during all that time, people, people have been almost, I don't want to say waiting because, you know, it's not like somebody waits for, your, for you to tweet or to put out a, a, a podcast or an article. Um, but I, I, I know personally, they're extremely well received from, you know, conversations I've had with mutual friends, including Mark Fisher, et cetera, um, and Luca. Um, but, but uh, it's, it's, it's gold for those who haven't uh, listened or heard Pete speak before. Um, so if you can follow him on Instagram, um, he posts his Twitter there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm that lazy guy. Yeah, no, but, um, but yeah, so I, it's, um, you know, I, I'm just kind of boosting you up a little bit for our listeners, but um, it's, it's, it's been, it's been fun watching you grow um, in your own personal way, uh, you know, since, since that Kansas City um, presentation. So well, I, I appreciate that. And I will say that I think that if there's anything that resonates with people, it's the fact that I don't step outside of my lane. So I won't, I won't take a run at publishing content on stuff that I don't have some level of familiarity with. So that doesn't mean I won't leave my comfort zone. It just means that if you were going to hear me talk about it, there's going to be 13 years of related experience beneath it. When right. I do say this is, this is what I've learned. It's not because it happened once. It's because I made the same mistake 15 times and finally figured out how to fix it. So the stuff I'm putting out is, is both uh, grounded in experience and I hope conversational in nature. When people read it, they don't feel like they're consuming textbook material. Absolutely. Um, As far as, you know, our similarities, just for also for those people listening, um, you know, we started off with one gym, and this kind of leads into my, my big question. We started off with one gym and then it was two gyms, right? But um, there, there is certainly a challenge with managing one gym and one brick and mortar location. And then there's uh, other challenges when, you know, you have, um, uh, you know, a gym that's, let's say, you know, ours is 40 blocks away or uh, two miles away. Um, and leading into the question about the zero to one, right? Peter Thiel wrote a book on zero to one, but he hasn't written uh, one to two, how different is it going from one facility to two? Uh, in addition, um, what, 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 what has life been like for you 
and what skills have you really had to adapt in that, that new level of learning? Good question. So we've been doing the two facility things since the fall of 2014. So thankfully it's not, it, it's kind of lost that new feeling. Finally. Okay. I mean, right. we're, we're not just into a second lease. We are actually into a building that has been built specifically to spec at this point, as we've finished our first five-year lease down there and decided, you know what, we need a little more property. We need fields. We need, we need a complex more than we need a facility. And Amazing. so that has since happened. Um, I, first and foremost, I want to, I want to emphasize that I don't run Florida. I am, I am as much a, you know, I'm an equity holder. I am a, I am a advisor of sorts, but I'm not a huge piece of the puzzle there as far as how it moves day to day. I've definitely got insight whenever asked from my business partners about, about what the best way to approach it is. But I think that my impact on Florida is more about the work that I did leading up to its opening and the constant work that we're doing in Massachusetts to evolve and adjust our systems. Because in a lot of ways, the systems that we put in place in Massachusetts are done in a dry run format during the half to two thirds of the year that my business partner, Eric, is not here in Massachusetts. And then when he gets here, they're pretty polished. And we say, this is this new thing we do here. Hmm. Uh, what do you think? And usually he says, I don't, I don't think we need that because we all, we're all averse to change. But by the end of a summer here, he typically brings that stuff back with him. And so he'll say, you know, they're, they're doing this up in Massachusetts. It seems efficient. We should make that change. And so it might've been how we got in the last four or five years, we pretty much got the entire business up into the cloud, specifically running it through the Google drive, basically. And it might be that we embraced certain technologies before they did. And then they made the jump when they get down there. And that's not to say that a hundred percent of the time things happen in Massachusetts and then they go to Florida. Cause it's, that's not true. We both learn from each other, but some of the bigger strategic changes, be it in pricing strategy, be it in uh, technology we choose to use during the kind of program design or anything like that, payment processing procedures, things like that. They more often than not originate up here and then find their way down there. And it's, you know, it, it's partially because we have a little bit bigger team to experiment with. It's partially because they are, their seasonality is really extreme. So when they are busy, they are like out of control busy. And when they are quiet, they're, they're considerably quieter. And typically Eric's up here. So he's taking a hand in helping develop the kind of adjustments here. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of it's just resources. We have, we have more resources up here to put our minds toward changing systems, whereas they are just running a very business busy business down there. And uh, it's just a, you know, they, they don't necessarily have the manpower to put the time and energy into pivoting systems and adapting to change. They want us to kind of fine tune it and then they'll roll it out much more efficiently than we did the first time around. So in, in making decisions, um, I'm, I'm noticing that you, you've, you've made a couple decisions in uh, not making a decision, meaning you, you deliberately chose in conversations with your business partners, not to spread yourself thin, not to run two locations, you know, when you probably, you could have done payroll, you could have done, um, staff meetings virtually, you could have done some other things, but you made a conscious decision, you know, and obviously it was with, probably with a conversation, but you made some decisions not to do some things. Um, sure. Can you talk about some of the other things that you made? Maybe when you look back, you would have done different 
um, you know, looking back, I mean, that, that obviously looks like it was a good decision. Florida's booming and uh, Massachusetts is, is great. And uh, again, for those who are unaware and, and uh, should be aware, um, there's multiple Cy Young winners here um, that train at both facilities. And is it hundreds of Major League Baseball players? <laughs> so, Ooh, I um, mean, at this at this exact moment, I wouldn't say we have more than 100 guys in the league, but we okay. absolutely but worked with hundreds of guys who have big league service time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd be taking a, this is a, a semi-informed guess. I would say we have between 50 and 70 guys on actively on big league rosters right now who have trained with us inside of the last 12 months. Um, I might be a little wrong on the low end. I might be a little wrong on the high end. But the answer is, I, I don't think there's a private sector business in our space that has as many client or people that can count as clients who are on big league rosters. That's kind of right. the best way to put it. Right. Um, sorry for that slight plug for you guys, but, um, <laughs> but so, so back, back, to, back to the back to the, the, the question. Um, what, what are some of the things that you would have done maybe a little bit different? I know we you know we look back all the time and. And maybe this, you know, the, the pandemic has given us a little bit more time of reflection. What are some of the things that you would have done differently? I mean, I don't want to call them mistakes, but um, because I know, I mean, I know you're, a, you're you always learn from your lessons and you talk about them. Um, but what are some of the things you would have done differently over the past, you know, six, seven years or more? <laughs> uh, so I think that I'm better at what I do today because of all those mistakes, for sure. Being open minded mm-hmm. to getting over these hurdles. Um, and my mistakes are less about what I would have done differently in opening facility number two and typically more about my management and leadership skills. So the, the things that I, I, I think we had a very skewed perspective in our early years. We opened our business and we thought no one ever quits and everybody works for you till the end of time and kumbaya. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't even until, I mean, we had, we had a couple of employees move on, but not because they moved on to a competitor or to open a competing business, but because they made a career change. Like for right. example, my, my first ever intern and first ever employee was a guy named Brian St. Pierre, who is right. now a pretty high ranking individual at Precision Nutrition. And from the moment Brian set foot in our gym and we said, hey, what do you, what's the dream? What do you want to do? He said, you know, I'd like to work for a company like Precision Nutrition. And we mm-hmm. said, well, why don't you aspire to work for Precision Nutrition? <laughs> and, and at the time, Eric was was professional and I'd say real life friends with John Berardi. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's, that's something you can and should work toward. Let's, let's do that. And so when he made the jump, he, and you know, he got his graduate degree and he went into his next job, he left here and he went into PN and he's there to this day. That didn't feel like a defection. That felt like a, we were a stop along a strategically outlined career path. Sure. Um, and so it wasn't until gosh, it must've been around 2014 that Tony Gentilcore left and opened his own space. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't acrimonious in any nature or anything like that. He had an opportunity to earn better by running his own shop. And we encouraged him to do so and are, we're happy to see it and continue to be in each other's networks and, you know, in each other's wedding parties and things like that, even since. Sure. So he left and <clears throat> that was the first time we realized like, wow, we're not going to, do this together until the end of time. People move on, things change. We can't pay everyone what they are worth or what they believe themselves to be worth. And so that was when we started to see turnover in the staff that we hadn't seen in the first seven years. Mm -hmm. And in the moment you kind of, 
your knee jerk reaction is to say, well, you know, they're making a bad decision. <laughs> like, right. they're, they're the bad guy. And in hindsight, nine times out of 10, it was, it was a shortcoming from a, a management or leadership standpoint. You know, the, the saying people don't leave jobs, they leave managers is so accurate. And so I think the, the biggest things I would change if I could go back in time would be the way that Eric and I focused on developing our leadership skills. Because, I mean, if we're being honest, none of us got into opening a gym because we were excited to manage a team of 20-something strength coaches. Right. It's, it's one of those, those jobs that you – it's like the accidental CEO. Well, we all become accidental one-man HR departments when we start scaling our team. And I was neither equipped or educated for doing a nice job with that. And if I could go back in time and do one thing, it would start – focusing very clearly on developing that skill set, be it listening, be it kind of just leading in general. I was, I was underwhelming in that role and I continue to have a lot of room for growth in it, but I'm a lot more focused on it these days. It, it dominates the way that I consume content and the way I think about how I can be a better contributor to our business. Because somewhere along the line, I realized if I can empower all of them and, and make them feel like they don't need to come to me with permission for every little thing, then they often do a better job at all of these things that I'm stretched too thin to do a nice job with in the first place. And I didn't learn that lesson until probably like really learn it the hard way. I'd say 2017, about a decade in. Hmm. I like that quote. People leave, people don't leave jobs. They leave managers. So uh, you've read the E-Myth, right? The, the, you know, um, believe it or not, I haven't, but I've, but, the, I've but you been, know the concept. Yeah, I've I've had the whole concept of the, you know, the technician, the manager and the entrepreneur hammered into my head so many times that I talk right. about the e-myth as if I've read the e-myth. But no, if I'm being transparent, I have not. <laughs> That's okay. Well, no, I was just thinking literally in my head of, you know, the the entrepreneur role, right? And then the manager role and then the technical role. You've never really held the technical role within your company, which if 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 I look at most fitness businesses, that's that's not really, they're usually OO or owner operator, right? Um, and in this instance, it was your, your wizardry has been in the, the behind the scenes stuff, the running the company. Um, and so, you know, it's funny because I'm on my list of questions I was going over and I'm thinking to myself, what kind of leader, I, I've only known you in one realm, right? And so what kind of leader do you think that you are now um, you know, do you, especially with younger guys and you have older guys and then you have business clients, what, what, what kind of leader do you, um, what kind of leader are you and what kind of leader do you aspire to be? I like that question. I, I want to touch on, I want to answer it in the context of this, this e-myth trifecta of technician, sure. yeah. manager and entrepreneur, because as, <laughs> as much as I haven't read it, I have an opinion on it. And mm -hmm. I think that I agree that every business needs to touch all three bases to thrive and survive. And I believe it to be very difficult for an owner operator to be genuinely good at all three. And that's why one man teams don't, you know, that they naturally don't scale as well. And what worked in our space is that Eric and I hit all three cumulatively and we overlap on the entrepreneur piece. And so if you're gonna, if you're gonna have a, a dueling two-man partnership, 
mm-hmm. you really need if and you're going to handpick which one of those three you're going to overlap on. I think the entrepreneurial piece is really nice. So Eric's a great technician and he's he's like the dreamer. He's the idea guy. Whereas I am the more the manager of people and the equal parts idea and pump the brakes on that idea guy. You know what I mean? Right. But I've never set foot in the gym. I've never, well, I've obviously set foot in the gym. I've never set foot in the gym as a strength coach ever in my life. I have no certifications. I have no experience coaching athletes. I sell fitness, but I don't instruct fitness. And we've done a nice job of staying in our own lanes and then putting our heads together to think strategically about the entrepreneurship piece. So with all of that in mind, we have, whether we wanted to or not, a little bit of a good cop, bad cop thing going with how we manage the team. Mm-hmm. And I think that's partially just because Eric's name's on the wall. He is the, the for lack of a better term, fitness celebrity in this business. Mm-hmm. And by definition, that person tends to be the scary one. You know, if you're right. if you're a new intern coming into town or you're a young coach who's working for us and doesn't know Eric that well because he's gone for six, seven months of the year, um, he is an intimidating force. And so in that sense, I have to fall into the role of the good cop. And right. so the joke around here, the, the staff always refers to Eric as dad and they both both to him and behind his back they'll be like right. oh when's dad coming back and <laughs> some of them have jokingly over the years called me uncle pete and and i think that's a pretty apt way of of identifying our two leadership roles and styles here uh in in a lot of ways i'm the wise uncle and the whole entire team finds their way into my office the joke in our gym is that my office is the therapy room and not physical or manual therapy, actual like emotional therapy. And <laughs> it, it's become a safe space where people are comfortable coming into my office and talking to me both about work and life. So I think that I am often tiptoeing that line between friend and employer, which is a scary place to live and play, but it has worked for me to date. And it's working these days as the business is performing about as well as it ever has. And, and I'm pretty psyched about what the team looks like these days. So we've got something going. I don't know that it's there's necessarily a recipe for it or easily replicated in other places, but Eric and I have definitely fallen into very specific leadership roles. And uh, just for those unaware, Eric is now the director of uh, performance, right, at uh, for the Yankees. Correct. Uh, the, New York, the New York Yankees of Major League Baseball. So I'm sure there's uh, additional challenges within, you know, that commitment. You know, you technically you almost have a third location, if you want to call it that, because he's uh, somewhat uh, removed from both, right? Yeah, and perception-wise, we all, we suddenly have like a whole third collection of clients because, by right. extension, when a when a Yankees player gets injured, mm-hmm. it's it people kind of intuitively say to themselves, well. Eric is the one who's responsible for that program. And then right. we, we, as the business with Eric's name on it, are an extension of that. And so it's, it, granted, we haven't run into issues on that front. But if the whole team started blowing up their, their UCLs and, and every pitcher had Tommy John and everybody was down with a knee injury or something like that, right. it would be very easy for that blowback to impact more than a single individual. It could, it could actually impact outcomes in the, the retail space, or I should say the brick and mortar space we have here. But I, I mean, let's be honest, it's a good problem to have from a right. public perception standpoint. Uh, it's a risk worth taking. 
I like that. Um, you know, going back to 2015, uh, there's two threads here. I'm, I'm curious about your content consumption and how it changed. Um, in addition to, um, you know, you added this extra element to your um, job description, which is business coaching. Um, so I'm, I'm curious um, how your content consumption has changed. Um, in addition to, you know, it's, it's certainly helped you maybe stay in your lane, um, but I'm curious to how that's helped, not just your, your business clients, but it's helped you and, and the business. I think that this is more about making content consumption part of my job description in my own mind instead okay. of a hobby. And so you, you mentioned Peter Thiel and specifically zero to one. Well, that was kind of the book that triggered my interest in the business content space, believe it or not. Really? Like, that was huh. the book that was in my hand in 2015 when I got that opportunity to lecture at the fitness summit. And I was thinking about what does my first presentation look like and what is it that we did here to create a market of one of sorts. And so I, I have said to people constantly in the years since that that's actually my favorite business book. Like I have a hard copy of it that sits wow. on my desk huh. in my home office and, and I haven't even reread it. It's not so much about constantly extracting value from it over and over again, more that it is, it, it represents the start of this new stage in my mind. That was sure. a book that, that gave me the mindset, like, you know what, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start creating, I'm going to start talking about what we built. So that's, that's purely coincidental that you mentioned that, but that's the book <laughs> for me. Yeah. And since that time, at that time, picking up a book like that was a hobby, you know, I, right. I, I remember before that the closest I came to a business book was maybe reading something about like uh, something like Freakonomics or, or mm -hmm. reading one of those type books or something by Gladwell. But I wasn't really thinking about how it would help me evolve as a business person so much as I just found it fascinating as a person. But since then, since starting a blog, starting to lecture, um, having a social media presence, I've also launched a, a newsletter that goes off every Friday. And that is every single Friday, I put out four pieces of content that basically impact the way I'm thinking about business these days. So mm -hmm. business articles, business podcasts, occasionally I'm recommending a book. And that has forced me to become strategic about my consumption because I've basically made a public declaration that I'm going to find content for you guys and I'm going to get it out mm -hmm. there every Friday. And it's not like I read four articles and share four articles. It, it means that I'm going to touch 15, 20, sometimes 30 pieces of content before I find four cumulatively that are worthy of sharing in my mind. And it just, it scales the volume of stuff that I'm exposed to. I will say that I become very proficient at quitting on stuff early. You know, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm three, four paragraphs into a 10 minute article and I realize this, this isn't bringing value to me, I get right, out. You're done. And that's one place where I've become very efficient on that. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, that is my biggest fault when it comes to book consumption. I can't step away from a book that I don't like because somewhere in my mind on principle, I'm like, I got to finish this. I bought this book. <laughs> right. I got to finish what I started. And I stupidly plow through stuff that isn't bringing me value. And I just can't seem to break that habit. <laughs> but on, on the articles and podcasts standpoint, I'm, I'm really good at that. And that's how I've started thinking about content consumption. It's 
it's very deliberate. It's very structured and mechanical in nature. And that might not be what people want to hear, but I'm, I'm a very kind of to-do list task driven type of person when it comes to productivity. And that's the way I have to do it. So uh, on my to-do list every Monday, one of the things is F4 number one. And that means get my first article for my Friday four. It's got to be, it's got to be finalized before I leave work on Monday. And it's the same thing Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So it spreads my information consumption out over the course of the week. And I'm not on Friday morning skimming the internet for stuff. You know what I mean? Right. I like that. And I hope that answers I, your question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious too, because specifically um, in terms of, uh, you know, consuming books, I'm i I'm audible, right? So I like to listen. I like to multitask. And then I usually have a notebook close by. And if something catches me, I'm like, Oh, write that down. And then I press pause or I bookmark it or whatever. What, what's, what's your, are you a, you like to have it, you know, with, with your cup of coffee? Is it like you you like to have it before bed? Like, do you have a, a process? Do you, do you have note cards? Like Ryan holiday is like a, a note card. He has a filing system. I mean, there's like many ways to do this. What's, what's your, your process here? Yeah, that's a great question. Mine is, uh, I typically have a business book, both going in hand and one in audible at any time. <laughs> and I also always the same have a, one or different. No, different. So two different <laughs> ones, because I think I there like are certain it. types of, of books that can be consumed on audible. They're not as, as like notes heavy, right. where I feel I'm, I need to be pulling out a highlighter or taking notes. And so it takes a certain kind of book for me to listen on audible. But for example, like I listened to tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss recently on audible. That's just, you know, short chapters with quick hitter information from 30 different people. I can listen to that in an audiobook and allow my mind to wander a little bit. But when you start getting into a more technical text, I, I just have to have it in front of me with a, with a pencil or highlighter in hand. Right. Um, I also always have a fiction book going because I try to read five to 10 pages of fiction Nice. as I'm falling asleep at night. That's just no TV in our bedroom. Yep. The best way to knock me out quickly is to read, (laughs) read something quick. And I'm not talking like deep introspective books. I'm talking like right now I'm reading origin by Dan Brown. So I'm reading like a Da Vinci code type book. And I just need something that's going to shift my mind out of the business stuff 24 seven. Cause if I read a business book while I'm laying in bed, I will wake myself up thinking (laughs) about business and I don't need that at all. And so I guess the answer is yes, I do audible. Yes, I read with books in hand, mm-hmm. and yes, I read outside of business. Um, this this is a, a fun fact about both of us. In addition to owning uh, two gyms, and 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 obviously you have your extension of your uh, yourself with with Eric now and the Yankees, but we both paid a thousand dollars a month for our first gym, and um, mine was one hundred and fifty square feet. Yours was how many square feet? Yeah, about twenty two hundred. Okay, so sl- slightly different scale. Um, but the, the concept for me of, um, and Eric actually put this out today, I think this morning, about um, smart financial like risk-taking. Um, and I think you've, you've tried to, to, I think, maybe put this same post out um, or a similar post about um, taking small steps. A lot of folks think and they look at berries or they look at soul or they look at um, you know, Orange Theory or they look at some of these, these big box venture capital um, backed um, you know, startups and they say, that's what I want to do. Um, but in reality, they're not starting like we are in starting with, you know, small, um, you know, small steps 
and then reasonable steps and reasonable expansion. Um, but at the same token, um, it's not, it's not going to be, I, I, I kind of almost go back to, to zero to one. Um, not a lot of people teach this, right? They don't, they don't like the, the, the berries and the soul, they're written up in, in books, right? But Cressy, well, right, thus, thus far, um, <laughs> Cressy and, and structure, they're not, they're not, and Dupuy, they're not written in, in books yet about um, incremental growth. Is there a certain field, uh, not field, is there a certain, um, what's, the, what's the word here? Basically what, I, what I'm wondering is, it seems almost non-traditional to, to start with, mine's 150 square feet, yours was 2000 square feet in Hudson, Massachusetts. It seems non-traditional to start small and then work your way up. But then when you say it out loud, it seems really smart. But these are, these are not the ones getting all the attention in terms of being written in textbooks. When, when do you think, and this goes back to the original question, um, I think you said this on, uh, I can't remember when, but you said sometimes people don't know it's cool until you tell them it is. Um, similar to for training, um, we do a different type of training, right? And I would, I would argue we do a different type of startup. We like to start small. When, when will it become cool? Here's the question. <laughs> a little long-winded, I'm here. Um, <laughs> When will it become cool to take these small steps and to, to take these, um, these small risks uh, and to, to be successful at a, a, a upper, you know, um, close, to, close to six figures or more in, in, in revenue and then profit and then do, do more than that, but to take those small steps? Because right now, um, what's, what's really um, highlighted isn't, isn't these, these, small, um, these, these small victories, right? It's... it's it's always the the super large one. So when when will when will it become cool um, to to have levels of success like we do um, on a, on a smaller scale? Well, the bad news is it's never going to be cool, and I don't and I don't mean that I don't believe in what we're doing. It's just unfortunate that the gyms that make practical moves, like the ones you're talking about, are the ones that minimize risk. And as such, never flame out. You, you never become a cautionary tale. But people don't write books about that. Right. <laughs> people like sexy. They like living on the extremes. You're, you're just not going to read about how, how thoughtful, deliberate, and slow-paced we were in building our book because, or in building our story because it's just, it doesn't get publishing houses excited. You know, Reed Hoffman can write a book called Blitzscaling and right. just be like, go wild, go as big as you can, as fast as you can, spend as much money as you can, capture as many as many potential clients as you can. I don't care about being in the red. Just go as fast as you can. Right. I read that. That's, yeah. That is going to that's going to find its way onto the, the shelves of Barnes and Noble. <laughs> the story of how we very practically and methodically went from twenty two hundred to 6,600 to 7,600 to eventually 15,000 square feet over a four to five year span isn't sexy, you know? And so it will always be cool to be in business and not bankrupt, <laughs> <Right>. but- <laughs> And they have but, a job, yeah. Exactly, but I just, I don't believe that I'm going to get a call anytime soon from say, I don't know, Simon Shark Sinek or, <laughs> or one of these guys saying, I, I need to, I need to write about your story. There will be, there will be opportunities to give quotes about lessons learned along the way, but we're never going to be the story. 
And right. that's fine so long as I am putting money toward my retirement, saving toward my kids 529K and keeping my employees paid on time. <laughs> it's just, if the goal is for it to be sexy, right? And we're, we're just going to be perpetually unhappy because people aren't buying what we're selling in that, that subject matter. And not the, not the exciting answer, but I, that's no, what I believe it's, to be reality. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things that I think also I'm surrounded by it, right? I'm surrounded like um, by these franchises, these pop-ups that are, people are always like, Oh, have you heard of, Oh, have you heard of, Oh, have you heard of, right? Because um, especially in Manhattan, which and granted that may be a thing in the past, don't know. Um, but so I think it's, it's also just peripheral for me. Whereas, um, you know, you've been really heads down and, and maybe this is something that I'm going to take away from this conversation is, is the, the, the fact of staying in your lane and really excelling at, at that, that one or two things that you do. Um, so, um, you know, consider, considering that in that sentence, um, you get a chance, let's say, to start all over again in 2020. Now, obviously, this is in the middle of a pandemic. Um, what do you do different? that you didn't do before. Uh, I know you spoke about leadership. You talk about, you talked about your managers. Is there anything specific that you would do different if you're starting over? Actually, maybe like you're starting a third facility. Is there anything that you would do different? Hmm. So if I were going from zero to one in this moment, what would I do differently? I think I'd, I'd employ the systems models and approach I have today to productivity. And I say that because it, it wasn't until we were in year seven that I, uh, my wife and I had our first kid and then it was year 10 that we had our second kid. And what I learned at each step along the way was that I was woefully inefficient in how I used my time. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd show up to the gym and screw around during staff lift and take my time with everything. And then I'd, sure. I'd, I would get my work done, but in a painfully inefficient manner. And I'd, I'd roll out of here after all the clients were gone and turn the lights off at seven thirty, eight o'clock at night and get home and have a late meal with my wife and not feel bad about it because she was working a demanding job. I was putting in uh, what I believed to be productive hours, but they weren't in hindsight. And I just wasn't really responsible about how I was using the free time I had available to myself. And I have since figured out ways, like I said, to compartmentalize my continuing education and compartmentalize the way that I put out content or the way I run our business or the way I meet with my team and the way that I, I optimize their efficiency by empowering them. Those are all things that I have learned in the last five, six, seven years. And if I had those tools in my toolkit in 2007 when we started, mm-hmm. I would imagine that we would be further along than we are. And it's not to say that we're underachieving, but I just get so much more done in so much less time today than I did back then. But otherwise, as far as like mistakes we've made, ways we've fallen on our face, I, I had to learn those lessons the hard way. Sure. I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking, man, I just wish I could go back in time and not made that mistake mm-hmm. because those mistakes are what have made me uh, somebody worth listening to in the business realm as far as our space goes, I think. Nobody signs on to to hear about all of like the home runs we hit without making any mistakes. People, if, if there's one lesson I've learned about my content, it's that people eagerly engage with the stuff when I talk about how we screwed up. <laughs> it's, right. It's just the way it goes. I'd rather learn from someone about their mistakes than how they, you know, have them tell me what their winning lottery ticket numbers were. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, in terms of productivity, kind of staying in that thread, um, what is one thing 
people outsource, but you don't. And then on the flip side, what's one thing that people don't outsource, but should. I'm careful about the don't, but should, because who am I to tell people what, how they should use their time. Um, but things that, well, God, it's, it's terrifying to me that small business owners are outsourcing their tax prep, things like that, (laughs) that if there's one thing I would say to people is get a good CPA and, and invest in it as necessary. And it will pay you back tenfold over the course of the first 10 years you're in business. If you manage to stay open. hundred percent, hundred percent. So that that's probably my answer to the, you don't, but you should, if you're someone who's running your whole business through QuickBooks and filing on your own, you're, you're exposing yourself and your business to a lot of risk and you're missing the opportunity to save probably. Um, so that's my answer to that. Um, one thing that I, so I'll give you an example, like right here and now, um, I'm just getting into the podcast game myself and, and have a handful of podcasts under my belt. And, and I'm choosing not to outsource uh, sound editing, you know, okay. auditing or editing the finished product, mm-hmm. learning how to pull together and overlap introduction sequences and intro and outro music and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I know very well that the hours that I'm putting into that are, are hours that could be spent doing something else if I wanted to pay for it. But to be fully transparent, I am so fascinated by it. I'm, I'm <laughs> having fun with it. I'm experimenting with it. I'm, I, I want to create a second podcast right now as I'm in the midst of creating season one of the first one. And it's just, it's got, it's kind of giving me that energy to do something new and explore new realms of creativity. So it is not the fastest use of my time, but I'm learning skills that I think will be transferable later and I will be able to monetize further down the road. So that's one thing. The, I'll give you one more that I will not bend on ever. And it's just because it's like a, it's like therapy for me. And mm-hmm. that is mowing my lawn. Oh, <laughs> you I stole know... a question. You stole a question I had. How did you, oh man. All right, keep going. Well, I don't know what the question was because I don't believe you wrote anything about that in prepping me for this conversation. But for me, I cannot get enough of snow blowing my driveway and mowing my lawn and putting a podcast on and my noise canceling headphones and just methodically walking up and down my property. And it's, it is my me time. (laughs) And so I have a lot of fellow entrepreneurs who are like, you've got to be kidding me. You're, (laughs) you're spending all of that time when you could throw someone 50 to a hundred bucks to mow your lawn and be done with it. And, and people those people just cannot and will not understand that, that it's me doing myself a favor. I look yeah. forward to it every week. Yep. And so it's maybe I sound like a psychopath when I say that, or I sound like someone, that's the reason I'm not published in books. That's why they're not telling my story because I'm spending my time mowing the lawn. And if that's the case, then so be it. <laughs> uh, so my question I usually have in the fast switch section is, section is, would you rather mow the lawn or shovel the driveway? So you, you've already taken that from me. Oh, but... it's, so it's, it's mow the lawn. And then Got shovel it. the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> well, in Massachusetts, you, you can sometimes do the same. You get to do it, you know, roughly in the same week in either the spring or uh, the fall, depending on the weather. So that did uh, happen this April. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, fun. Um, moving a little bit more vague here uh, to broader strokes. Um, you get a chance to shadow someone, any entrepreneur, any author, any, any, any business person. It could be an athlete. Who do you shadow for 24 hours? You get to shadow and see them. Who do you shadow and why? Can they be dead? Sure. Abraham Lincoln. Elaborate. I'm about 
30 hours into 40 hours of the book Team of Rivals by okay. yep. Doris Kearns Goodwin. And he, he well, obviously, I, I don't want to say he strikes me as, he was obviously someone who figured out a way to unify people who weren't on the same page philosophically in, to the point where he got them all to work in his cabinet. And I think especially, so we have this this wonderful perk of our business that when I make a hire, I hire exclusively through our internship program and we never have to go outside of our business to make a hire. So I can mess up an internship selection, but I never mess up a full-time hire because we have hundreds of hours of experience, but that's not a reality at 99.9% of gyms. When they need to add a staff member, they need to go outside they need to trust other people. And what happens is you bring in people with rivaling philosophies, existing kind of habits and systems that they believe to be true from a strength training or program design standpoint. And I think that the ability to get a team to unify around an overarching goal while all having simultaneously slightly different approaches and philosophies is incredibly hard. And my God, Abraham Lincoln took his biggest rivals politically, beat them as an underdog, and then Mm -hmm. unified them and got them all to work for and with him. And that is just I'd like to see that guy in action. Hmm. That's interesting. There's a little overlap there. Uh, I just finished the Grant book. Um, okay. And so, you know, certainly uh, Grant was uh, heavily involved in, in the, the Civil War and um, he, they, he ended up becoming best friends with Lincoln, you know, towards the end. And I don't know if you know this, he was supposed to be in the theater with Lincoln that night. Um, I don't but, think I've uh, got to that part in the text, and I think it oh, will be in the book. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, um, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. News, so, newsflash: He dies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got sorry. that part. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, but yeah. So it's 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 fascinating that you mentioned that because um, you know I think I think as a as a society sometimes right now we tend to put ourselves in an echo chamber uh, a little bit. And I was just talking with somebody else the other day about how important it is to surround yourself with people who have um, different ideas. And I and I you know, a little long-winded here, but I suppose that is my goal with Coachable is to, to put people who have um, different skill sets and different, um, different opinions uh, and different experiences uh, kind of in, this, in the same um, metaphorical room um, because I, think, I do think that's where genius happens is when you, when you can kind of um, put, put the best practices together. Um, that is, uh, I mean, certainly at one civil war in a, in a, in a, in a you know, one, one way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so and I'm going to add that to my list um, for audio. I'm for pretty sure. sure it was Fisher who, who made that recommendation to me and it is a Probably. beefy one, you know, yeah. it's a, it's like yep. a 1200 page book if you choose to pick it up, I think. And like I said, 40 plus hours on audible and I'm not somebody who can hit the like one and a half speed. Oh, I, I don't think that quickly. And yep. so I have to process this stuff at normal people speed. <laughs> and it means 40 hours is 40 hours. It's hard to well, carve that out right now. <laughs> fun, fun trick. When you increase your heart rate, you can increase your consumption rate. At least that's the rationalization I do. So like I do it while I do cardio. So I'll, I can do 1.5 in the grant book, by the way, that was uh, a good 40 hours easily. Yep. Um, so uh, anyways, separate book nerds. Um, <laughs> I shall um, give that a go. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh Going back into um, uh, you know leadership and companies, et cetera, in uh, broad strokes, you've been offered. Let's say you've been offered a deal to sell. Not that you would, but let's say let's say let's say maybe 
and you're going to sell both locations. Um, what company would you like you would, you would sell to like, you just love, you'd be like, hell yeah, I'm selling to them. Is there, is there a company that you're absolutely in love with right now that you would love to, um, sell your company to? Well, I think that question, or is that too metaphorical? It, well, it assumes that I have an attachment to my brand and it's my baby that I can't, I can't even fathom handling it, handing it to someone else because they could screw it up. Um, believe it or not, I could walk away today for the right price <laughs> and never think about it again. Um, so I think I'm, I'm good at being in the moment and, and loving what I'm doing and pursuing it here and now. But if somebody, anybody came to me with the right price, I think it'd be easier for me to walk than it would for Eric because Eric's reputation is so firmly attached to it. You can't just, sure. you know, you, you can't sink this ship and not have there be repercussions for him. Right. Um, but for me, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit emotionally detached from that. I think my inclination would be if, if money is not the issue, you're not trying to monetize it so effectively, I'd hand it off to a, a current or former employee, a mm -hmm. current employee. Like I can think of which staff member I would, I would gladly without hesitation, give the branding rights to my director of performance, John, right now and say, Hey, John, you want to start one of these in any part of the world? You have my blessing. Our systems are yours. Our brand is yours. I trust you to do this and make us look nice. So it, from a trust standpoint, I, I couldn't be like, oh, I love aesthetically what Apple's doing. They can have my business. I tell you that if we're talking about protecting the brand and the legacy, I'd give it to John. I, I always told Brian St. Pierre, you ever want to start one of these in Maine? You have, you have the go ahead. <laughs> CSP is your brand way back in the day. And I'd probably still stand by that right this moment after not having employed him for a decade. That's, that's interesting. That kind of leads into my, my next thread uh, before we get into our fast switch section. Um, I'm going to give you two quotes and I think you'll, you'll find the thread. Um, not every artist needs to own their own gallery. That's quote one. Quote mm -hmm. two, um, I'd rather own 10% of the Pacific than 10% of Lake Erie. Lake Erie is one of the small um, Great Lakes. Yep. Um, You've, you've made a deliberate decision to not open, you know, 80 Cressy sports performances all across the country. Yep. And in the same token, you just said you would, you would sell to a, a, you know, an employee and you give the branding rights to. So why not spread Cressy all across the country? And yet, uh, I guess, yeah, why, why not? I mean, you, you've been pretty deliberate and pretty uh, outspoken about that. Well, if I'm actively going to be aligned with with the product, mm -hmm. I'm not going to tolerate watering it down. I don't have any interest in compromising on the reputation in that sense, because that's that's what drives all of our awareness that it when you come here, you know that you are going to get a very specific assessment experience. You're going to get a very specific individualized programming model you're going to get coaches who are all going to share the same values and the same several hundreds, if not thousands of hours of experience. And so that is not, it's not scalable, unfortunately, because mm -hmm. our biggest bottleneck is it's not space. It's people. It's, it's competent coaches. I mean, we've had, we're probably coming up on around 300 all time interns at this moment in time. Ooh. And at any given moment in time, I could tell you who are, we call it our short list. So, 
who are the three, five, six names on there that we would call right this second. If a staff member came into the office and said, I'm leaving, you can fill my spot. Mm -hmm. I know exactly who we would call. It's like a, it's a constantly moving and shifting list of prioritized staff members, but I know exactly who it would be, but that list isn't 50 names long. It's not a hundred names long. Right. They're like, once you jump past that top 1%, you start talking about compromising. And that's not to say that we haven't created some wonderful technicians of those 300. I mean, 280 of them, I would, I would without hesitation say, Kevin, you can hire this person. They have, they are technically a very good coach. They understand what we're trying to accomplish in the weight room. They, they know how to cue athletes, they understand program design, they're competent. But there's a very big difference between competency and the entrepreneurial sure. feel and awareness that it takes to run a gym. Yep. And that, that just, that list is so short that the idea of, of opening 30, 40, 50, a hundred of these, I just know that it's, it's going to dramatically reduce the, the perceived value of the product. Sure. And so I just, I don't care to play that game right now, but if somebody said, Hey, I want to buy this whole business from you and Eric and uh, I'm going to franchise it and I want franchising rights. Here's what I'll pay. Then sure. Let's have that conversation. Right. <laughs> I'm going to move to Hawaii. <laughs> See you never. Fair. Write that Fair book. Enough. I always said I was going to write. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it goes back to our, our conversation about the e-myth and just about the skill sets and like, look, your, your internship program, I, I've never, I wasn't, you know, uh, we've never really talked in deep, deep dive about the, you know, what it entails, but a, a specific entrepreneur and business skills are not the same as the specific on the floor training and the specific on the floor for programming and the the communication within that. That's it's not the the Venn diagram there is a little bit more separate than it is um, alike. And exactly, um, so couldn't agree uh, more. So and that, I so that's to, fair. to your first quote because I do want to touch that because I I love that quote. Um, it what it reminded me of was a um, a commencement speech that I would point you toward. My my college roommate, good friend of mine, and Eric's best friend in the world was um, he was the number six employee at Facebook. Yes. And so he has obviously done some fascinating and amazing things. And one of the outcomes of the notoriety that he achieved was that he was the, uh, he was the commencement speaker at our, at our alma mater, alma mater Babson college. Hmm. I think it was maybe 2015 or 2016. It was Babson a couple years back. Exactly. And so my buddy, Kevin was, you know, early to mid thirties, delivering the commencement speech and, and receiving an honorary doctorate from, from the school that we graduated from like a decade before. I mean, mm -hmm. absolutely wild. And what Babson is known for is entrepreneurial studies. Everybody who goes there thinks they're going to start their own business. If you didn't start your own business, you're not living the dream. And that's, that's pretty funny and ironic because I did not go there with that mentality. I got a B2B marketing degree. I never pursued entrepreneurial studies while there. And then I opened a, a business, which is fascinating, but coincidental and funny. But Kevin's, uh, his speech, his lecture on that day was about how you don't have to work for yourself to be an entrepreneur because mm -hmm. he was the global sales lead. I believe that was his title at Facebook. And he's the guy who got them uh, off the ground and running with, with advertisers, you know, getting Coke and, P&G and Gillette to invest in marketing, you know, advertising on Facebook. He's the guy who landed those accounts and then maintained them. And he had 
an entrepreneurial approach to it. He ran his own business within someone else's business. And so his, the takeaway of his lecture was you don't need to, to open up your own shop to live that dream. You can practice entrepreneurial habits while working on someone else's payroll. I love and, that. Yeah. And it's, it's such an important message. It's, I'm going to harass him to sit on my podcast to, <laughs> to tell that story someday as well. Because I, I don't think enough people appreciate it. And I think that I've heard my former business partner, Tony Gentlecore, say a number of times that everybody thinks the dream or everybody thought the dream was to own their own gym. You weren't legit unless you owned your own gym, maybe right. five, six, seven, ten years ago. But that seems to be shifting with the way that people can give themselves exposure through social media. And sure. you can be an independent contractor in someone's space and you can build out your own business in someone else's business. So the the public perspective is definitely moving in that direction, but it's not fully there. Right. No, that's uh, yeah. I mean that, that we could elaborate on that. I mean, I've had uh, Mike Vacani work for me. Uh, he's now Gary Vaynerchuk's personal trainer, uh, Joey Persia. Uh, he worked for structure. He's gone on to do great things in terms of copywriting and working for businesses. Um, we've, we've really had a lot of great coaches um, that have uh, worked within our, um, you know, our walls and, have gone on um, to, to have Amber Tacey. She's another one. She has her own um, dancers who lift. Um, they've gone on to, to become great, uh, but they didn't need to own their own gym in order to do it. You know, um, it was, it was just that, that initial platform. Um, before we get to the fast switch section, Pete, any, any topics you'd want to elaborate? Any, anyone, any questions you want to go back to anything I missed? Oh, no, I know there's I a lot here. Thinking, I haven't been thinking strategically about that. I will, I'll give you credit. I think that there are a lot of podcasts out there, obviously, but not a lot of them that take the mechanics of, of preparing for a podcast quite as seriously as you. And I credit <laughs> you for asking questions that, that other people have not asked. And uh, I, there isn't enough, enough emphasis placed on, on the homework that happens before a conversation of this nature. So I, I would just say thank you because it's refreshing to hit some new stuff. Love it. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, we, we overlap in terms of what we do on a daily basis, except for the kid management part. Um, but sure. uh, we, we overlap a lot. So I, you know, I had your, your voice in what would Pete do in, in, uh, uh, in my head for the last week or so listening to the, the podcast and catching up on your blog posts. And, and so it's been fun. Um, voice that you must be sick of at this point. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Look, you know, uh, what's the, what's the saying? It's we have to be reminded of it, or we have to see something seven times before we're like, mm, yeah, you're right. I got to get to it. Um, yeah, the, so, the lo- <laughs> putting the Pete in the law of repeated exposures. <laughs> yes, there it is. Got it. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So fast switch. Uh, these can be one word. These can be an explanation. However you want, but um, these are really really short. Are you ready? Hit me. All right. Uh, Brady or Belichick? Belichick. Country or rap? Country. Ooh, I didn't expect that one. Uh, beach or mountains and a lake? Lake. Hmm. A thousand times. And this is an argument I have with my wife every day. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Favorite sports movie besides Rudy? Oh, God, that's not fair. There's so many. <laughs> um, any sports movie. It's really hard. I'll go with Major League. But the okay. list is like, it's like a dozen movies long. I know. That's a tough question for you. Uh, spirit animal. Spirit animal. My son, Owen, he's an absolute maniac. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, dad life. That's that's for real. Yeah, um, my three year old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite adult beverage? Uh, gin and tonic. Really? Didn't, didn't see that one coming. It's my go-to. Um, I I I know this answer to this question because you're in you're you know in Massachusetts, but Starbucks, Timmy Ho's, or Dunkin'? Uh, Starbucks. Really? I didn't see that one yeah. coming either. I'm not wow. a I'm not a Dunkin' guy. All I, right. Good for you. I Good take you. I take issue with the consistency of the product. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. Um, uh, hot dog or hamburger? Ooh, hot dog. Interesting. Uh, one meal the rest of your life. You can have it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You never get sick of it. Oh, I'd get sick from it, but um, there's a restaurant based out of Colorado. They may have since expo- uh, expanded. It's called Snooze, okay. S-N-O-O-Z-E. And there, I promise you there will be listeners on here who have heard of Snooze. They, it's a breakfast spot, and they have a cinnamon roll pancake that is not on the menu. It's an oh off-menu order that people know to ask for, and it would be my death row meal. If you told me right now, and I I have said to people and meant it that I would go so far as to get on a flight to Denver to go eat that meal for breakfast and fly home. I love That's amazing. it. Amazing. <laughs> um, favorite TV show? Oh, that goes through waves. Um, currently, recently? Eh. Sure. Oh, I, I will say West Wing's up there. That's one oh, that I will so rewatch. So I will. Good. That's So my wife and I each have shows on Netflix that are like the oh, you have to do some work tonight. I'll just mm-hmm. watch my show while you're right. finishing up your work. Right. For me, it's Westway. Same. That's fair. It's awesome. Awesome show. Um, favorite airline when you're taking airlines? JetBlue. Fun. Uh, this is the, the most Pete question I think I've asked all day. Favorite sweatpants? <laughs> um, I'll tell you a sweatpants story. Two, <laughs> three years ago, <laughs> when uh, we'll say almost three years ago, when when all of a sudden joggers became all the rage, you know, like the tapered leg and mm-hmm. everybody was getting away from the baggy sweatpants that you literally never see anymore. Cause everybody wears a tapered leg jogger. If they wear sweatpants, right. um, I, we've got our new balance deal. So we are fortunate to be able to go in there and just pick stuff off their website pretty regularly. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to take the, the jogger sweatpants leap. I'm going to do it. And so I bought them. I put them on and I walk into the gym and you would not believe the firestorm that I walked into oh everyone God. in the gym killing me, telling me uh, like, basically I be- suddenly became like hipster Pete and no one was ready to accept it. And fast forward, you didn't even have to fast forward like six months and all of the people who were all over me about it wear nothing but those pants. <laughs> but trend I, t- I took that jump. I've never set a trend in anything uh, apparel wise ever but i did that in here and i remember even my wife gave me a hard time and and i remember our i think our mutual friend and my former employee frank duffy was relentless like it could not stop giving me a hard time about it and now you cannot find a an informational video on the internet from frank where he is not wearing joggers <laughs> so <laughs> i think even when he's jogging he's wearing them that that's is true. that's my go-to <laughs> <laughs> awesome all right well pete th- this has been great this has been fun i i honestly feel like i have 20 more questions from the questions that I wrote down. Um, but uh, we'll do it again another time. Yeah, we will. We will. So thank you again. And um, guys, you can find Pete on Instagram, even though he's on Twitter, you can also find him on there. I will link to him in the show notes and uh, thank you. And um, have fun mowing the lawn, Pete. I appreciate it, Kev. I'm off to my other day job. Time to be with the kids. <laughs> All right, my man. Thanks again. All right. Talk soon. Bye. All right, bye.